0: I put a spell on you, and now you're mine. You can't stop the things I do, I lie. It's been 300 years, right down to the day. Now the witch is back, and there's hell to pay. I put a spell on you. And now you're mine Welcome to Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sub Media Reviews. What is up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning into Sub Media Reviews. I'm your host Kiara, and today I'm reviewing the amazing 1993 film Hocus Pocus. The movie features Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy as witches Winifred, Sarah, and Mary. It also features child actors Omri Katz, Thor Birch, and Vanessa Shaw as Max, Danny, and Allison, respectively. I'd be completely remiss if I did not cover this movie during the very first spooky season of Submedia Media Reviews. I just had to do it, especially in the 30th year anniversary of this film. So here's some fun facts about the movie. The role of Max Dennison, which was played by Omri Katz, was originally offered to Leonardo DiCaprio. He turned it down to appear in What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which also came out in 1993 don't know if that was a good decision or bad decision have never seen what's eating gilbert grape but i have seen hocus pocus so if that means anything it was a mistake (laughs) but he has a fantastic career so you know it doesn't really matter the second fun fact is that brother and sister gary marshall and penny marshall play husband and wife in this movie now gary is the one who's dressed as satan and penny plays his wife my first thought was gross like ill (laughs) siblings playing husband and wife, yuck. However, I remembered Gary's name and his face and I was like, oh snap. So Gary Marshall, of course, is a film icon don't know how I didn't put two and two together but he directed Pretty Woman and also The Princess Diaries which I have already reviewed and he's had like a super long career in entertainment he has since passed away but I didn't realize that his sister was also an actress and director too so when I looked her up she is an icon in her own right she directed the movie Big and she made history as the first female director of a movie that grossed over a 100 million dollars at the box office. She also directed A League of Their Own and Preacher's Wife. And the Preacher's Wife connection is like her connection to Whitney Houston, who co-produced The Princess Diaries, which Gary Marshall directed. It's kind of weird, like that little circle or whatever. I feel like this brother-sister duo might not actually get enough credit. I feel like I'm just now kind of discovering who they are and their influence. And maybe it's just me just now discovering it or people really like sleeping on them and their accomplishments. I don't freaking know, but it's kind of cool. The final fun fact is that on the Hocus Pocus 25th anniversary Halloween bash which came out in 2018 Sarah Jessica Parker revealed that she actually ate the spider we'll talk a little bit more about that later on but if you want to check out Hocus Pocus you can watch it on Disney plus as of the recording of this episode. So here's the point in the show where I talk about my personal connection. Now, while I consider Nickelodeon to be the network of my childhood, Disney Channel really takes second place for me. Hocus Pocus was one of those movies that I could always look forward to watching during the Halloween season um, on the Disney Channel, as well as network television like ABC. The movie was actually a box office flop. But again, because I'm not a huge fan, fan of scary movies, but I enjoy movies about witchiness and ghosts. Um, This movie fits well into that box for me. The movie is a little bit creepy. But it's also really campy. There's a lot of fun or funny elements of it. So that explains why I was really into it as a child. Also, the three witches, the actresses that played the three witches are legends in their own right. I mean, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy and Jimmy, they are all amazing. And they're kind of immortalized in this movie. And it's actually very sweet in, you know, the cult classic kind of way. Also, I like that the movie has a mixture of ages of child actors so that it appeals to young kids that might identify with Danny who's the younger sister who was eight in this movie as well as teens like Max and Allison who I believe might have been 16 or 17 at the time. I was only three when this movie came out but because they had different age groups in the movie I was able to identify with the different characters as I grew up. So when I was younger, I identified with Danny. But then when I got older and, you know, became an older teen, I identified more with Allison. So I think that's pretty cool that, you know, kids at different stages can watch this and kind of identify with the different characters. So I'm really excited to give you my perspective on this movie. So let's get into it. So the movie opens up and we're flying over a marsh-like area with the shadow of a witch on a broomstick reflected in the water. It's a super old town. The year is actually 1693. And we see a young man sleeping and the farm animals are kind of cutting up, you know, as a witch lands near his bedroom window. He awakes to call for a girl named Emily, which we later on find out as his younger sister, and he leaves his cabin as a soothing female voice sings like this calming and creepy lullaby. So the boy and his friend, Elijah, see a purple plume of smoke in the woods, which means the witches are active, and they run towards it, and they actually see Emily, who is a young girl, probably seven or eight years old, being led into the woods by witch and Elijah is like Emily belongs to the devil worshiping streets now she's long gone but the boy who again is Emily's big brother appears to be maybe 16 years old chases after Emily and the witch and asks Elijah to summon his dad and the elders like they got Emily, y'all bring the cavalry, okay? So this boy is running through the woods with no shoes on. At this point in the story, we don't know his name. He's falling and whatnot, but he finally catches up with Emily and the witch. And he sees Emily being lured into the creepy homes of the witches. Okay. And so he peeks in a window to see that Emily is surrounded by three sister witches. We got Winifred, who is played by Bette Midler, Mary, who's played by Kathy and Jimmy, and Sarah, who is played by Sarah Jessica Parker. Now we know them, we love them. And these actresses and their resumes really speak for themselves. But the witches call Emily the guest of honor, And Winifred, who is the leader of the sisters, speaks to this weird spell book that has like a working eye on it. I was always creeped out by this as a child, but they're making something in a cauldron, a potion, and we get to see their sisterly banter, which includes some jealousy, some frustration, a little stupidity. At this point, (laughs) I'm realizing that the witches actually look old with graying hair and movie makeup wrinkles. I didn't remember this detail from my childhood, but it actually makes sense. The witches are aging and they need to do something to restore some of their youth before they expire. Okay. I feel like their movie makeup is kind of meh. It's really just okay. But as the sisters are preparing the life spell from the creepy spell book, the boy whose name we still don't know at this point is sneaking into their home. And so he sneaks into the top floor of the home and he watches them from like the second story loft area and so Mary can smell a child in the room but Winnie is like girl we already got a child here like that's what you smelling so Winifred stops Mary from following her instincts but (laughs) she does that a lot as a woman with four sisters, I want to point out they're kind of sisterly dynamic. Winnie and her two buck teeth are the leaders of the sisters. She's the knowledgeable, kind of serious one who tries to keep Mary and Sarah in line. She comes across as actually kind of resenting her role as the big sister. And I'm calling her the big sister because she's likely the firstborn. But I think she resents her sister while recognizing that she actually needs them. But I don't think she would ever really admit that. Mary though comes across as like the middle sister. She has some deference to Winnie. I mean, a lot of deference to Winnie actually. And it's like a little tattletale if she thinks that she is being asked to contribute more than Sarah. So there's some jealousy there. We see Sarah who appears to be the youngest. She has like a little squeaky voice. She comes across as very fancy free and a little stupid. (laughs) So she may have to defend herself again Mary sometimes but she would probably never think of crossing Winnie so we'll explore their dynamic a little more later on. So now it's time for the ladies to add a piece of themselves to the cauldron to put like the final touches on this spell and it's a bit of their own tongues and they literally bite off a piece of their tongues and spit it into the cauldron and I don't know why but that freaked me out Biting my tongue is one of the most painful experiences. I would say it's probably up there with like hitting your funny bone for me. So biting a piece of my tongue off just sounds freaking awful, okay? But anyways, the potion boils up or something to signify that it actually worked. And we learned from Winnie that if Emily drinks the potion, Emily's life will become Winnie's. So basically she's stealing her youth. Winnie has to correct herself instead of saying like her life will become mine. She says her life will become ours. So there's a piece of Winnie that actually does not want to share. Just as an FYI, her name's Winifred, but I'm going to call her Winnie just to make things a little bit easier. So if Emily drinks the potion, they're gonna steal her youth and regain their own youthful appearance. So right as they're about to get Emily to drink the potion, the boy jumps down from the second story loft and he's like, no. And so Mary and Sarah try to catch the boy, but he hits them with like the swinging cauldron and they fall over and actually all of the potion kind of spills out. And when the boy tries to get Emily, Winnie hits him with like some lightning magic from her witchy fingers and she knocks him out. Interestingly enough, the potion actually starts to. work on Emily and what's interesting is that I didn't really realize that she had drank any it looks like he didn't stop them in time which is very weird that threw me off the potion starts to work on Emily and because the boy is kind of disposed right now after being struck by witchy lightning he can't really help her and so This weird kind of like white shadow forms around Emily, which kind of signifies that her youth is ready for consumption and the sisters join hands to steal her youth and they do it through this weird sucking motion. What's interesting is that later on, they kind of describe this as eating children when it's not really what they're doing. That's a really weird way to put it later on, but whatever. So when we pan back to the witches after they do this whole ceremony or whatever, she's younger and so are Mary and Winnie, but apparently they aren't as young as they want to be. The question is how young do they want to be? We'll talk about that later, I guess, but they plan to suck the youth from all the children in Salem so that they can be young forever. And it's like, uh, how many children is that? I don't know, because I feel like they reverse their ages, maybe like 20 or 30 years just from the one kid. Like, y'all trying to go back to infancy? Like, I don't get it. Anyways, (laughs) poor Emily is slumped over in the chair that she was sitting in. And I'm assuming that she is dead. I don't think I ever considered that they actually killed a child in like the first five minutes of this movie. But the sisters narrow in on the boy and the boy is like, there aren't enough children in this town to make you hags beautiful, which is like an old school burn. And so they decide to punish him instead of consuming his youth as he also destroyed the potion. So there's not really a potion there for him to drink so that they can actually suck the youth out of him. And so they decide to punish him And they look through their creepy little spell book for punishments and they settle on giving him eternal life as a black cat. A very interesting punishment as black cats are very ominous and even in modern day have trouble getting adopted due to the superstition of black cats being unlucky. So now this movie actually connects to Sabrina the Teenage Witch in more than one way. Sabrina the Teenage Witch featured a cat named Salem, who was a human who was turned into a cat because he kept trying to take over the world. But the other connection to this is that the animatronic cat that is used in Hocus Pocus was actually used on the show, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, to depict the cat. So that's a a interesting factoid for us late 80s and 90s babies, okay? So right after they turn the boy into a cat, the angry villagers finally come to the witch cabin with torches and the witches do this weird thing where they pretend to be human and normal old ladies, but the real humans aren't buying it and they prepare to hang the witches. Emily and the boy's dad ask where the boy is and this is where we find out the boy's name. The boy's name is Thackeray. What kind of name is that? That's so hideous. (laughs) And to be honest, it's not even that far off from Zachary. But something about Thackeray just sounds awful. But Winnie makes a joke about the cat having her tongue and the sisters start singing. And when they sing, it's like they're reciting witchcraft. And so the people in the crowd, and there's a lot of people there as maybe all of the townsfolk, I would say at least 40 people, but they're told like, don't listen to them. They're reciting witchcraft or whatever. And so they start covering their ears. And so little Elijah drops the spell book to cover his ears and the spell book opens because it kind of does have a mind of its own and it flips to a page with the black flame candle spell and the spell reads one all hollows eve when the moon is round a virgin will summon thee from under the ground so when he realizes that the book is giving her a hint that she needs to do this spell she says it aloud and it's a way that they are going to be resurrected years and years later right on an all Palo's Eve on a full moon and a virgin is going to summon them from the ground. So Winnie is like, you guys are idiots. You know, you gave me a way out basically. And so she uses that to kind of taunt the Salem townsfolk and they kick the barrels from underneath the witches and hang them. And Again, as a child, I didn't realize we were witnessing a lynching, but this movie kind of glosses over the whole, like, we're killing children and we're lynching ladies. So we're going to slide right past this (laughs) real quick. But based on a quick Google search, this took place in 1693 in Colonial Massachusetts, where 200 people were accused of being witches, 30 were found guilty, and 19 were hanged, as well as two dogs. What the heck? They hanged. Dogs? Y'all, that's the craziest version of mass hysteria. <laughs> it's so crazy. I feel like we talk about it and it's kind of funny to us, but people literally died over some BS. It really was BS. It's freaking crazy. And a lot of them, probably, I'll say a lot of them, I don't know how many were women. I would say probably most of them were women. It's freaking crazy crazy but now that thackeray who has turned into a black cat approaches his father once the witches are hanged his father turns him away and he's like get out of here you beast or whatever nobody ever really knows what happens to thackeray so that sucks but then we flip to modern day and it's 300 years later in 1993 And a teacher is in a classroom of high school students. They appear to be about 16 years old, 17 maybe. And a teacher is telling the story of the Sanderson sisters. And she says that a black cat guards the house of the Sanderson sisters, which is still standing to this day. And it is trying to deter people from bringing the witches back to life. She weaves this kind of suspenseful tale. And she like does a jump scare on one of the students. And they are really entertained. They're really engaged to be this old a lot of times students are not as in gauge as they get older. I don't even know what class this is. Maybe it's history, English, whatever. But the kids in the town seem to be really into the lore, right? But there is one kid in the class whose name is Max Dennison, played by Omri Katz, who expresses his disbelief in the Satterson sister, Holcomb. The local teenagers boo him and they kind of tell him off or whatever. We find out that Max is from California and he's being depicted as this kind of laid back non-believer, right? Like he doesn't buy into this local legend. So the young lady who told him off her name is Allison and she's played by Vanessa Shaw and Max kind of boldly gives her his number in front of the class and I'm like "Mm, okay son okay later on we'll ask where his boldness went but anyways (laughs) school is out it's Halloween the kids are excited and Max catches up with Allison to chat and flirt like I said it is Halloween he just moved there the previous week and they talk more about how he doesn't believe in the tale of the Sanderson sisters Allison obviously is a believer she grew up in the town but it's weird she's not a believer in like this uncool or even sarcastic manner she just kind of respects the lore and I like that about the way she played her character she comes across as knowledgeable about the town lore and really respectful of that so at the end of conversation she hands him back a piece of paper as she walks away and Max is disappointed to see that she gave him his own phone number back instead of giving her his which is what he thought and I was like that's how you play a man that doesn't believe in what you believe in okay (laughs) I really enjoyed that not interested because okay so Max rides his bike home over the river and through the woods. And he comes to like a stop in the cemetery where he comes across two bullies, okay? They're pretty stupid and their names are Jay and Ernie, but Ernie wants to be called ice. And he even has the word ice cut into his hair on the back of his head. Max kind of thinks that's funny and chuckles a little bit, but then they hit him up for cigarettes or money. And when he turns them down and insults them, they want his new cross trainers, which are a little bit cute. They have some purple in them and that's my favorite color. But Max ends up getting his shoes taken and he rides home on his bicycle in socks which sounds really uncomfortable but when he gets home he kind of yells at his parents for making him move to Salem it's literally all the way across the country basically and he's just really in a mood and his mom noticed that he wasn't wearing any shoes, but his dad wrote it off as like a form of protest. And I'm like, what is it with these kids' movies making parents out to be heartless, uninvolved monsters? Now, if I came home with no shoes on, my mom would be on me like white on rice. We would be at the bully's house on our way to go over to get the shoes that she bought, okay? You're not gonna ask no questions about why your child has no shoes on? I don't freaking know. I'm Girl, <laughs> Anyways, Max goes to his room, which is actually huge it has like this staircase leading up to like who knows where eventually we see that it's some type of it almost looks like the top of a lighthouse or like a top of like a bell tower I'm not a hundred percent sure but it's actually like a little cool element of his room it's actually kind of neat but we see that someone is watching him from his closet as he hugs his pillow and pretends that it's Allison hilarious but suddenly his little sister Danny pops out and startles him and so Danny is played by Thora Birch and I was like why does that name sound familiar I actually have no idea why it sounds familiar but the point is because I thought it sounded familiar I looked her up on Wikipedia and I wanted to see if I recognized any of her other work I don't think I did but I found out she's actually the daughter of two pornographic actors Carol Connors and Jack Birch which I think is actually kind of interesting hmm Anyways, Danny has the reddest lips in history. I don't know if it's lipstick. Her lips are so freaking red and and I can't tell if it's her skin or if they put her in makeup. I don't even want to look it up because it's not necessarily important, but those are the reddest lips I've ever seen on such a young child. I think that's why it's so such a stark contrast. If her lips were red and she was older, then whatever. But just as a child, your lips so red, girl, girl, what's going on? Anyways, Danny is eight years old and she says that Max needs to take her trick-or-treating and Max is sulking he's being a moody teenager who was moved across the country and all that kind of stuff and Danny is making a lot of good arguments for why her big brother should take her trick-or-treating their parents are going to be at a party so they can't take her it's a full moon and people get crazy on a full moon and they're in a new town and the girl could get lost she needs her older big brother to go with her and Danny ends up getting her way she's dressed up as a witch while Max wears regular clothes with a hat and sunglasses and claims to be dressed as a rap singer WTF is a rap singer is Drake a rap singer because he sings sometimes and raps what even is that okay Y'all, anyways, (laughs) so Max and Danny go out trick-or-treating and they come across bullies Jay and Ice. Max tries to get Danny to avoid them and go somewhere else, but she doesn't listen and she heads straight for the bullies. The bullies try to charge her 10 candy bars to pass them, but she's not phased. She's very bold. And when they threaten her, she says, I've got my big brother with me, not realizing that her big brother Max just got punked by them like a few hours ago. So the bullies and their friends laugh at Max for trick-or-treating and Dressing up as a little leaguer. And Danny's big mouth makes more trouble for Max, but it comes across as if she idolizes him and she kind of sees him as bigger than he is. She's not used to seeing him as like the butt of a joke. So Max gives the bullies all of his candy so that they can move on. So Max and Danny start to argue a little bit. Danny says, You know, you should have got jumped like a man for defending me, (laughs) basically. And Max blames her for embarrassing him in front of half the guys at school. So I think they both have kind of valid points. But he's like, girl, get this candy and get out of my life, okay? And she's like, I want to go home. And then she runs off. Max, of course, runs after her. But the funny part of this to me, and a part that I remember from my childhood Is that when she runs off, she runs into this pile of hay and starts crying on a pumpkin. It's so funny to me. I don't freaking know why. But Max apologizes to her and she forgives him like right away and they move on. And they go to this big house that obviously belongs to rich people. And they walk in and they find a cauldron full of candy. And they go double fisted up getting candy. And because they're rich, you know, it's not a one candy bar per person rule. But they're raiding this candy cauldron, and actually, the house belongs to Allison's family. She's dressed as like a fancy colonial woman, it's like a big dress. It's actually kind of cute. And Danny actually recognizes Allison's name from when Max was like hugging his pillow, pretending it was Allison. Mm embarrassing but this party at Allison's parents house is mostly adults so Allison's really bored and she seems to really welcome that there are some guests that are there that are closer to her age so Danny embarrasses Max again by claiming that he loves Allison's yabos which is slang for boobs. I don't know if that's 90s slang or whatever. And I'm like, why are there so many terms for boobs? Like, why? I just, I'm, everything has to have a nickname, another name, an alternate name, and none of them are appropriate or loving. <laughs> but, but Danny brings up the Sanderson sisters and Allison's mom used to run the Sanderson sister museum, which was apparently at the old witch's house. So the Sanderson sister house was converted into a museum. But Allison says that they had to shut it down because of all of the weird spooky stuff that was going on. So Max, who's trying to impress Allison, says that they should go to the Sanderson house to make him a believer with his old imagine dragon's head ass. But, anyways, Allison changes clothes and Danny is hesitant to go into this haunted house. But Max is like, I'm really trying to impress this girl. The only way that Danny agrees to go along with this plan is when Max agrees to trick-or-treat next year with her as Wendy and Peter Pan, and he has to wear the tights. He must really like this girl. So the kids go to the Sanderson house, which is fenced off and locked up. So they break in. They break into the area where the home is. They also break into the actual home. And so they're totally trespassing. The place is dark and dusty. There's a million cobwebs everywhere. You can see that the house was transformed into a museum. And Max uses a gift store lighter to find the light switch. So the light switch gets flipped on. You can see the whole place. And you can see someone is watching from the outside of the house. It's actually Thackeray, who again is in cat form. Right, so Allison is basically giving them a tour and the history of the place. The spell book is there inside of a glass case, and it's apparently bound in human skin. And I'm like, mm, this movie is a little bit more edgy than I remember. To be fair, I don't know that I could really comprehend everything that was going on at the time, but yeah, human skin—that's a little edgy. <laughs> but Max spots the black flame candle, which is made from the fat of a hangman, and he reads the legend. If lit by a virgin on a full moon, it will raise the spirits from the dead. And so he's like, hmm, I should light the candle with my new lighter. And when he suggested he gets attacked by a black cat, which is Thackeray. And so Danny and Allison freak out and they're like, okay, this is an omen. You got attacked by a black cat. Like quit playing around and let's get up out of here. But an incredulous Max says, this is all just a bunch of hocus pocus. Usually when characters say the title of a film, it's corny. For whatever reason, it doesn't come across as corny to me here. And I don't know if it's because it's a children's movie or because it actually fit into the scene, right? Because the thing that's coming to mind for me and Why Did I Get Married to? There's a part where one of the characters says, Why did I get married? And then the partner's spouse says, or that person's spouse says, Why did I get married too? And I'm like, that is not how people talk. <laughs> Like it comes across as unnatural, but in this instance, him saying this is all a bunch of hocus pocus actually makes sense in the scene, right? So he lights this black flame candle, the flame actually turns black, and then crazy stuff starts happening, of course. Like all the lights go out, the wind picks up inside this building, and a glow comes from underneath the rattling floorboards. And now everyone knows he's a virgin, so <laughs> it's all bad. <laughs> So the candles around the room starts lighting themselves. And for the first time, Max is faced with the consequences of his stupid decisions. I don't understand why people don't respect local lore. You don't have to believe in this stuff to be respectful of what other people believe in. Like in a previous episode, I reviewed Friday the 13th. And it's like these people in this town... Do you not respect them because it's a small town or, you know, respecting somebody's beliefs doesn't mean you have to hold them or that you even have to say, like, you all are stupid for believing in this. You can just say, oh, you know, I don't buy into that. And that's like a, an easy way of saying, like, you all can have your beliefs and that's good for you. And then I'm gonna believe what I'm a believe. But I feel like he was really coming across as judgmental. And unfortunately, he got shown up. It's all real, at least in this movie. So Winnie laughs and the doors open to reveal Winnie, Mary and Sarah, they are back from the dead and they look the same as when they were hanged and they're happy to be back in the land of the living. The children hide as soon as they see the witches, and the witches kind of wonder who lit the candle. But then Winnie sees her spell book and Mary smells children, her sniffer is pretty good. And this is one of the reasons why I said Winnie actually needs her sisters. They actually have helpful children seeking abilities. Mary has a, a sniffer that will sniff out a child, and she can even tell a few details about the child, like the sex of the child and the age of the child as well. We also have have the sister Sarah whose you know gift of song lures children kind of puts them in a trance or whatever so Winnie needs her sisters okay as annoying as they are but the sisters managed to scare Danny from her hiding place and they admire how well fed she is and I was like you know what in 1693 there probably was some food insecurity and children weren't so chunky okay so not that Danny is chunky but (laughs) but they call her shishka baby and dumpling and again this is the part where I feel like it's weird comparing this child to foods as if they eat the children when I perceive them as sucking their life force, not necessarily consuming the child, like old Hansel and Gretel, you know, the witch from that story. So I think it's weird. They reference eating children multiple times, when I feel like that's not what they're really doing. It's strange. But they realize that it has been 300 years since they were hanged and they get ready to put Danny inside a cauldron when Max calls out to them. So when he zaps him, with her little lightning and already we are drawing parallels between Thackeray and Emily versus Max and Danny and that happens throughout the movie the witches are throwing Max around and dusting off their old magic skills and while Sarah and Winnie are occupied with Max Allison attacks Mary and hits her in the head with a frying pan Danny jumps in and she rescues her brother by hitting Winnie and Sarah with her bag of candy and Thackeray the cat attacks Winnie and the kids you know are trying to get away but instead of leaving with the girls Max climbs to the second story of the house turned museum and says a little speech about how he's Max the Great and he uses a lighter to activate the sprinkler system calling it the burning rain of death. So the witches freak out because they see the lighter which is new technology he calls himself Max the Great and they believe that he has some type of mystical powers. So when they hear burning rain of death they think that he's going to unleash some type of mystical attack. So when the sprinklers turn. Turn on they are freaking out thinking they're going to be hurt or die and Max uses this opportunity to jump down and he ends up falling on his butt but then Thackeray the cat climbs on his chest and says nice job Max and it freaks the boy out because it's a talking cat but the cat tells him to get the spell book and he does he has to break the glass case and grab it and this buys the kids a little bit of time before the witches realize that the sprinkler is just water and they chase the kids now when the witches leave the house they come across some pavement and they don't really know what it is, And they push Sarah into it, thinking that it's a black river, but it's firm and solid. So they were willing to sacrifice her. I'm just now realizing how important the 300 year time difference is in this story. A lot of the stuff that happens is them realizing and recognizing like centuries later, how much technology and things have advanced. So they end up doing that weird iconic walk where they march in like this horizontal lockstep. It's really cool, actually a little bit creepy. And then they see an emergency vehicle go by with lights inside never having seen a car before like that, maybe never even hearing a sound like that, they run away scared. And I can see why it would be freaky to experience that for the first time. But like I said, because they're experiencing these modern inventions, the kids have time to create more distance between themselves and the Sanderson sisters. So real briefly, we're gonna take a break from the story and talk about the costumes, okay? Winnie has red hair in the style of the Queen of Hearts. She has very pronounced red blush. She has lipstick that is only around like the fullest part of her lips. I believe that's also similar to the Queen of Hearts as well. She's wearing an old school and very witchy green and blue get up. It's like a long dress that has this decorative, maybe velour or velvet robe or coat over it. And there's a lot of movement in the skirt with like like a potential petticoat underneath because of how full it is. She has long nails and she's wearing a lace finger loop glove that is so cute. And because she's witchy and uses her hand a lot with her magic, the nails and the gloves and the rings are really like cute embellishments. It's, I like her get up the most. We move on to Mary. She has black and purple hair that's styled to look like the top of a witch's hat. She's heavier set with like a sideways mouth. She's wearing a brown top that reminds me of like a bar witch. <laughs> she has a long dark patterned skirt and something about her costume gives me a little bit of pirate vibes. Lastly we have Sarah who has long blonde hair. She's wearing a dark eye and lip makeup and her maroon dress is corseted to show off her slim figure and push up those yabos and um, <laughs> her sleeves are lace and the bottom of her dress is really flowy and layered but there's not too much Fabric to distract us from seeing like how fit she is. So the differences between them tell a story, and their costumes are a part of that. The Queen of Hearts hair separates Winnie as like the leader of the group. The bar-wench appearance of Mary displays her kind of homeliness and may explain her jealousy of Sarah. The lace and corset depicts Sarah's seductive nature and help to explain her ability to lure children and men essentially so (laughs) overall i think their costumes are actually quite thoughtful and intentional or i'm just overthinking stuff so let's move on (laughs) so thackeray the cat leads the children to a graveyard calling it hallowed ground where witches can't go the girls realize that the cartoon cat can talk when thackeray is talking it is a cgi cat and i don't like it and it doesn't hold up that well well but i do think it is better than an animatronic cat so you know, that's something, okay? <laughs> so they follow Thackeray into this graveyard where he gives them a little history lesson of like the witches and what they're dealing with, okay? He brings them to the grave of someone named Billy Butcherson. Billy was Winnie's boyfriend, but he was messing around with Winnie's sister, Sarah. So Winnie poisoned him and sewed his mouth shut. So yeah, she's vengeful. Um, Allison realizes that the cat is actually Thackeray Binks and that the legends of him guarding the Sanderson house are true, So now we flip back to the sisters who are hiding outside their house. It turns out that the firemen are there because the sprinklers went off. And Winnie assumes that the firemen are witch hunters, which is interesting. But as the firemen leave, Winnie reveals that the black candle spell actually has a catch. The magic that brought them back only works on All Hallows Eve. So if they don't do what they need to do before the sun comes up, they turn into dust. So it turns out that the potion they brewed the night they were hanged was going to keep them alive and young forever. If they could get enough children I guess to suck the youth from, but the recipe is in the book and the kids have the book. So at this point, Sarah Jessica Parker eats a spider that she found. Again, this was actually a real spider, and I'm like, girl, no role is worth that, okay? But I'm gonna assume the spider was dead though. Like, it, it was a real spider, but was it dead? <laughs> I'm just going to assume it was dead so I can sleep tonight. Okay. But the witches have to find the book. They have to brew the potion and they have to suck the youth out of the children before the sunrise. Okay. That is their mission for the duration of this film. Winnie asks her sisters if they understand the severity of what she's saying. She's like, If we don't complete this before sunrise, we will die. And neither of them does. Mary is just too busy complimenting Winnie's storytelling, and Sarah just was not listening. So, this goes to show that Winnie really is the brains of the operation, which is funny because she's not always the smartest either. <laughs> But we flip the scene back to Thackeray who's in the graveyard telling the kids about how it's his fault that his sister is dead while he's sitting atop of her grave in his cat form. I kind of get why he feels guilty but these witches are magic and have hundreds of years of experience on him and he and his sister really didn't stand a chance particularly in 1693 okay. So a thought just popped into my head. I'm curious to know if Emily and Thackeray were born in Europe and migrated to the Americas and settled in Salem, or if they were born in Salem, because that could be another connection about moving from one place to another. Hmm, Interesting. Anyways, let's move on. That just literally popped into my head. Zachary is basically waiting for the sweet release of death, but because he's cursed as immortal, he can't reunite his soul with his family. So he decided to use his immortality to guard the house every Halloween for 300 years. So the question is, what was he doing the other 364 days of the year (laughs) was he hopping from house to house as a pet because I feel like that would be a sweet gig if he was someone's pet cat that went missing every Halloween he would be living it up okay but dumb Max tries to burn the spell book but obviously it's protected by magic and suddenly some witchy laughs are heard in the sky and it's the three sisters flying in on brooms trying to retrieve the book Winnie sees Thackeray and taunts him about his failure to save his sister and his eventual failure to save Max, Allison, and Danny. And so the kids grab the book, And they run through the graveyard, trying to avoid the witches who are on their brooms. And because they can't land on the hallowed ground, Winnie has to use a spell to awaken Billy Butcherson, her unfaithful lover from the dead. And so the fake ground shakes, this effect is pretty bad where the ground is shaking. And Billy actually arises from his grave. And to be a 300 year old corpse, he has a lot of hair and skin, but we're gonna look past that, okay? He's a zombie. So the kids run off scared because they just witnessed someone dead come back to life. And sees seems disappointed to see that he's dead it's kind of funny Billy actually is funny to me but Sarah is happy to see him and kind of looks and winks at him but when he just barks orders at Billy so Thackeray leads the kids to this getaway spot it's a little underground and once again Max stays behind like a dum-dum and he knocks Billy's head off with a tree branch but to Max's dumb surprise Billy's body starts searching for his head Max is getting on my nerves at this point y'all lighting candles, knowing he a virgin, staying behind multiple times to try to be the savior when he's the one who messed up in the first place. He's just being annoying, okay? Max eventually catches up to the others and they go underground into like a Salem crypt that connects to the sewer and up to the street so that they can escape without being caught by the witches. So when Billy finds his head, Winnie orders him to follow the kids, grab the book, and then go back and find the witches. Winnie says something interesting. She says, damn, damn, double damn, which I think is a funny phrase, particularly for a kid's movie as well, because of the curse words, but I thought it was funny. So the sisters need a plan to collect some more children, okay? The more children they get, the younger they will be. And like I said earlier, when they suck the youth out of little emily their age went back 20 to 30 years okay and it's like how young do you want to be and how many children will it take to get you there because i feel like if little emily if little 1693 emily got y'all down to where y'all were in this movie y'all need one more child pick an annoying bully suck the youth out of him and move on okay Winnie is freaking out. So Mary suggests something called a calming circle where they just go around and name things that they love. It's actually kind of cute, but they get interrupted by a bus, like a city bus pulling up to the nearby bus stop. And so the bus driver starts flirting with the ladies and he explains to them what a bus is. He says it's gonna convey them to their wildest desires. And Winnie is kind of giddy and recognizing that he's flirting with her. And she says that she desires children. And so the cheeky bus driver is like, oh, it might take me a couple of tries, thinking that she wants to make a baby. But no, she wants to kill a child, basically. (laughs) But that is an adult joke that I did not remember from this movie. And I thought it was pretty funny. So the ladies bring their brooms and board the bus, which appears to be empty at this time for whatever reason. But meanwhile, Billy is following the kids through the sewer and the bus driver lets Sarah sit on his lap and steer the bus right as Thackeray, who the kids have called or I guess nicknames, this is his last name, Binx. Binx is emerging from the sewer and unfortunately he gets run over by the bus. So when the kids come out from the sewer, they see a smushed black cat. There's no guts or blood. There's just like a deflated looking cat. And Danny is crying and the two older ones are upset. And Max starts blaming himself when suddenly Binx inflates, somebody blows him up and he comes back to life. And I'm curious, like, I wonder how many times (laughs) Binks died over the past 300 years. That's a little interesting kind of side thought I have. But in this next scene, we're back on the bus with the Sanderson sisters and Mary yells stop because she smells children. So the bus comes to an abrupt halt and the bus driver is mad that he can't get Sarah's number. But when the sisters get off the bus, they're baffled to see what All Hallows Eve has evolved into. It's what we know is Halloween. So they're really confused by these little weird creatures that are running all over the place. Winnie calls them hobgoblins, which is freaking hilarious, okay? And they scream with, when a child who's dressed as an angel blesses them. So a man in a nearby house who's dressed as Satan emerges and the sisters recognize him as their master. So they run over and Satan actually recognizes them as the Sanderson sisters thinking that they're women in costume. So Santa again is played by the legend Gary Marshall. So we switch the scenes to the children who come across an officer on a motorcycle and they ask for help. Max explains that he lit the candle and he's a virgin and he stole the book and he tells them, you know, the police officer entertains him for a little bit but then he tells him to scram and stop wasting his time you know and so the kids leave and we later see that the man was only dressed as a cop for Halloween and was not actually a cop so I briefly looked it up and it doesn't appear that dressing similarly to a cop on Halloween, it's illegal. It's only considered impersonation if the person dressed as the cop identifies themselves as such or tries to use their appearance to their advantage or tries to use their appearance as a peace officer to get someone to commit a crime. So, but anyways, Billy emerges from the sewer and ends up losing four fingers when the fake cop runs over the manhole cover. This scene actually sticks out in my mind. Jamming my fingers hurts so bad. I can't can imagine someone losing their fingers that way, even if it is a zombie. <laughs> but anyways, the sisters are at Satan's house in this next scene and Satan's wife is so uninterested in Halloween. Her husband has a lot of enthusiasm and spirit for the holiday. He's dressed as Satan, he's handing out candy. He invites the ladies into his house. His wife has flexi rods in her hair. She's in a robe, she's drinking, she's really over it. And so Satan's wife is played by Penny Marshall who again is Gary Marshall's sister. So when the sisters are inside the house, the three little girls actually steal their brooms. We never come back to this. We never figure out what happened to their brooms. Three little girls get on those brooms and fly away. Why aren't they screaming their freaking heads off? Why don't we hear about these girls ever again? Do they not know how to use them? Did they fly into a wall? Where are the brooms? (laughs) We never come back to it, but the brooms are stolen and now the women have to get around without their brooms. Okay, that's the point of this. So while the sisters are in the house, Mary watches TV for the first time. Winnie mistakes the kitchen for a torture chamber. Sarah dances with Satan. And so when Mrs. Satan comes downstairs and sees her husband dancing with Sarah, she kicks them out of her house. And when they refuse to leave, the wife sticks their tiny dog, Ralph, on them. Come to find out that dog was actually Kathy and Jimmy's actual dog, which is kind of cute. So a beautiful dog, some type of small terrier with like silky hair. So they get chased out of the house by a tiny dog, and they find out that their rooms are missing. And one of the sisters used the word purloined. Now, when I looked it up, or before I looked it up, I assumed it meant like, dang it, or fiddlesticks, or you know, but it actually means stolen. So my vocabulary is broadening every day. If something gets purloined, it's been stolen, okay? So Winnie realizes that Gary Marshall was not the real Satan, and that the hobgoblins are just children in costumes. This is what I'm talking about, that Winnie is the strongest link in the chain, but she has a few chips in her because she could have realized that sooner. but whatever. So we're back to the kids who have gone to find their parents at a Halloween party in town. It looks like a lot of the adults are here. A lot of the adults in the town in Salem are actually here celebrating Halloween while the kids go out and run amok in the streets. But a live band is playing, everyone's dressed up, and it kind of makes it a little hard to find their parents, but they do find them. And their dad is dressed as Dracula and the mom is dressed in Madonna. The dad takes Max aside after greeting Allison. And Danny meets up with the mom and gives an abbreviated version of events. And of course, it sounds unbelievable. Okay, so the sisters end up showing up at the party and they split up to find the kids In the book. So the two parents, their kids and Allison are all kind of arguing, you know, over the music because the kids aren't making sense. And then Danny spots the sisters. And so Winnie starts staring at the lead singer who changes songs to I Put a Spell on You, right? When they kind of, you know, lock eyes. So I want to point out through the movie that Winnie keeps hitting her sister for being stupid. She's done it a lot and it's abusive at this point, okay? (laughs) But when Max spots the sisters, he runs onto the stage and interrupts the song to make an announcement. He points out that the Sanderson sisters are there and a spotlight lands on them and that they've come back to life to endanger your children, okay? Hide your kids, hide your wife. Instead of warning the crowd, of adults he does what Winnie calls a marvelous introduction and the lighting changes and she begins to sing her version of I put a spell on you so instead of being frightened the crowd is actually delighted and once again Max has failed okay (laughs) but the band backs them up and plays the music for them and Mary and Sarah become the background singers and the music acts as a spell to kind of capture and entrance the adults in the room, which is actually very smart because if the adults are all tied up in this room, the witches can basically kind of have their way with the children. I mean that in the hocus pocus way. Okay. (laughs) But uh, then Billy shows up and the kids have to leave to avoid him. This is something that I did not realize as a child, that the song they were singing was actually them putting a spell on them the song literally says I put a spell on you I thought that they were just super into seeing the Sanderson sisters and were like really just like yeah we love them this was a great performance let's dance but no they literally put a spell on them and Winnie at the end of the performance tells them dance until you die and play that funky music till you die And then she laughs maniacally and yes, she curses them to continue dancing until they die. So the kids are running away and they make it to an alley where Max kicks a trash can in anger. It's kind of funny, but the kids hide as the witches approach, but Mary can't smell the children over the smell of rotting seafood in the alley. So when Allison sees an old oven, she gets an idea. And so they head over to the high school, which the witches call a prison for children to lure the witches. Max uses the PA system to taunt the witches. And when the witches come across, Binks, They do that weird March thing again, and they are drawn into a large ceramics oven by a boombox playing a French language tape. So Danny and Allison trap them inside and the witches presumably burn to death when they turn on this like kiln or oven that they use to, I don't know, is the word cure ceramics? or like to get ceramics to hardened. So yeah, we see a weird green plume of smoke leave the top of the school and the kids are celebrating because they think they've won. They burn the witches alive, whoop de do So when the kids are celebrating, Max tells Binks to stop blaming himself for Emily's death. And Binks tells Max, you need to appreciate your sister while she's still around. And so Binks almost kind of leaves thinking that everything is over when they kind of decide to adopt him into the family. Fun fact, when the kids are celebrating, because ding dong, the witches are dead. They're dancing in front of a fountain. And that fountain is the same one from Friends, the TV show. It's actually located on a Warner Brothers set and not in New York. So fun little fact. But when the kids get home, they realize their mom and dad haven't made it back yet. And then we see how dirty the kids are. It makes sense that they would be dirty after the kind of things that they went through. They were in the graveyard, they were in the sewer, they were in the nasty little alley. But with the lights on in the house, they look extra dirty. So we flash to the parents who are actually still dancing at the party because they've been cursed to keep dancing until they die and so the kids clean themselves up a bit and danny tells banks that she's going to turn him into a fat contented house cat and so allison and max snuggle up a little bit Mm -hmm. they're becoming a couple and all the kids kind of fall asleep thinking that they have beat the sanderson sisters in the next scene we switch back to the high school and the plume of smoke goes back into the school and the witches emerge from the oven. They cough, their hair is a little unkempt, their clothes probably smell awful, but they are very alive and kicking and I don't see any burns or anything on them. So we switch scenes and we see bullies Jay and Ice who have done tons of Halloween mayhem throughout the night, including TPing a house. So it's three in the morning and they are bored when the witches approach them. Mary smells Max because Ice is wearing the shoes that he stole off of him. So Jay calls the sisters ugly chicks. So the witches capture the boys and put them in cages that are hanging from the ceiling in the Sanderson house. They only have a few hours until sunrise. So they resort to trying to make the potion from memory. They do this silly scene where they try to remember the ingredients and Sarah actually says the right ingredient, but the other sisters won't listen to her. But when Winnie realizes she needs the book, she starts panicking. So Winnie calls out to the book so that it can make itself known. And so the eye on the book that is in Max's house opens. It's freaky. It's a freaky looking book, (laughs) y'all. but anyways it opens as Allison and Max wake up and then the eye closes and so now it's 5 a.m and Allison's gonna be in trouble with her folks so she's getting ready to head home but while she's like putting on her jacket she's like you know I pity poor Binks because he's still cursed he's never gonna die he's gonna be here forever and they never assume that he's still cursed because the witches are still alive Mm, okay but Allison's stupid self this is the first time Allison did something dumb dumb okay she suggests that they use the spell book to try to uncurse Banks to pay him back for showing them the ropes and saving their behinds multiple times. So Max reminds Allison that Banks told him not to read the book but Allison thinks the witches are dead what could it hurt okay nothing bad ever came from reading a book like old girl said in The Mummy. But this time, Allison is just a big dum-dum, okay? It was her turn. Max had been messing up the whole night. Danny had been opening her big mouth all night. Allison had to mess up at some point, okay? So when they open the book, the book signals with like a beam of light that goes into the sky. And we flip to Winnie, who's being dramatic about them dying when the sun rises and Mary's tending to her and repeating her every word. But then they go to the window to see the beacon of light coming from the spell book and they have hope again. So they find a broom, a mop, and a vacuum in a closet in their house and they use it to fly towards the light to retrieve the book Max and Allison are reading the book the light is shining on their faces but it doesn't appear that they can actually see that or maybe they just think it's something mystical about the book but the kids learn that a circle of salt can protect them from witches which is something that I have heard a lot when it comes to lore but Binx wakes up and he closes the book but the witches are basically at the house already. The older kids leave the room as the witches kind of break in quietly so they can find some salt. They flirt while they're in the kitchen and right before they have their first kiss, they hear commotion upstairs. So they run up to check in on Danny and they notice the book is missing. And when they peel back the covers looking for Danny, it's actually Sarah in the bed. And I actually jumped y'all. They got me with a little jump scare, okay? So Mary, Winnie and a captive Danny come out of the closet and Winnie uses the book to attack Max. It's interesting that the physical attacks are only on male children while the sucking of the life situation seems to be reserved for the the young girls. Allison I don't think gets physically attacked by the witches at all. That's very interesting. But Allison pours a circle of salt around herself and keeps Her and Max protected from the witches. And so Winnie calls her a clever little white witch, which I thought was hilarious. But the scene actually reminds me of the Skeleton Key. That was a horror movie that I watched with family and that I could kind of stomach. I saw it once. I actually really liked it, but I have not watched it again. I don't know if I can make it through it. But the actress who plays Allison reminds me a lot of Hilary Swank. I low-key thought it was Hilary Swank, but no, it's not. Her name's Vanessa Shaw. Anyways, the witches leave with Danny. And Winnie says the candle's magic is almost spent. It's almost dawn or whatever. I don't know why. This was the first time in... The story that I'm recognizing that the candle is actually acting like a timing device or like an hourglass, basically. But the witches leave through the weird bell tower lighthouse structure and they blast off, which destroys like the roof of his bedroom. And Max ends up waking up from his attack that he suffered at the hands of Winnie. So while the witches are flying back to the Sanderson house, Sarah gets the task of starting to sing her beautiful lullaby to lure the children to the Sanderson house. It's actually a beautiful kind of lullaby, even though it is kind of sinister. But Max wakes up to see tons of children being lured to the sound of Sarah's song. And Allison starts putting together that the sisters will die if they don't steal the lives of children by the time the sun comes up. So then Max asks a weird question. How do we make the sun come up? Even though it's foreshadowing what they're going to do next, it's a stupid way to ask about next steps. If I learned this bit of information, I'd be too worried about Danny or delaying the witches to worry about how to make the world turn faster so that the sun can come up, okay? And where in the heck is Banks? Now, I didn't mention this before, but one of the other effects that doesn't really hold up for me is that when the witches are flying, it's not very smooth or fluid. It's basically like you can all but see the strings that are being pulled to make them fly. Sarah finally makes it back to the Sanderson house where Mary is helping Winnie make the potion and Danny is tied to a chair. So we also see that Thackeray was put in a bag, so that's where he went. What's funny is that Jay and Ice are still in cages suspended from the ceiling. And they're kind of being taunted by Sarah and Mary. And so when Danny mouths off and calls Winnie ugly, Winnie designates her as kill number one. So we see someone pull up in what looks like a Red Ford Explorer and the potion is ready and the witches try to get Danny to drink. Thackeray warns her not to drink for the little bag that he's trapped in. So she's resisting drinking. But right as they're about to force feed Danny this potion, Max runs in and tells them about something called daylight savings time. And a light flashes from outside and the witches think it's the sunrise so they get all dramatic thinking that they're going to die and Max uses this time to untie Danny, grab Binks, steal his shoes back from Ice, knocks over the newest batch of the potion and he abandons Ice and Jay who are left in the cages. Allison and Max use some type of colored film or tape over the headlights to mimic Sunrise but they hightail it to the car to try to make an escape so it looks like there actually may be about an hour left before Sunrise. Unfortunately, they can't make a quick getaway because the entrenched children are making their way to the Sanderson house and they're blocking the driveway. Winnie sees that even though the cauldron gets knocked over and broken, that they can salvage enough potion for a single child. And even though they have a whole town of children arriving because of how vengeful Winnie is, she's dead set on getting Danny for calling her ugly. This is the first time I'm realizing that a key character trait and flaw for Winnie is insecurity about her looks. Now, the whole mission of them doing this type of spell or ceremony is that it's about youth and beauty, which makes you think that it's about vanity, but really it's about her insecurity. I find that actually pretty interesting. So the kids make it to a cleared part of the road. They're driving pretty fast. Again, we don't know how old Allison and Max are, but Max appears to be a good driver. Maybe he's 17. But anyways, Winnie pulls up beside him on her broom and asks to see his driver's permit. Girl, how you know what a driver's permit is? You just made it to 1993. <laughs> but anyway, she starts choking him through the open driver window. And I thought this was low key kind of funny. But the CGI here that shows her flying next to the car is cartoonish to me. It's not totally awful, but it's just not good. So the kids kind of throw Winnie into the bushes as they drive away. And they head back to the cemetery, which is hollow ground. And again, the witches aren't supposed to touch the ground there. So the girls and Binks run in and Max ends up getting accosted by Billy. And so Max tells the girls to run ahead and he pulls out a small knife and then Billy grabs it and Max and holds Max kind of like by the neck, right? As Winnie pulls up and barks more orders for Billy to bring Winnie the little girl, Danny. But Billy uses Max's knife to cut open his sewn up mouth and some moths come out. I actually heard that these were real moths, but the inside of the mouth was fake. So the actor did not actually have the moths like on his tongue or in his mouth. It was like an artificial mouth. But yeah, these people and these real bugs, y'all, I couldn't do it. But Billy speaks for the first time and he calls Winnie a winch, a trollop and a buck tooth mop riding firefly from hell, which is really funny and Billy, like low-key well not really low-key high-key teams up with the kids against these witches they surround Danny with a ring of salt as the witches fly over and Allison throws some salt until she runs out Winnie kicks Billy's head off after he tells her to go to hell and Danny leaves the salt circle to help Billy find his head Danny girl you out here about to die Are you trying to say somebody that's already dead? This is one of the most annoying kind of tropes about one of the things I didn't talk about was how Danny is like this idealistic, altruistic kind of girl. And a lot of times they end up risking other people's safety because they want to be altruistic or whatever. Like, girl, come on. Danny ends up getting scooped up like a little dummy because she stepped outside the salt circle and Winnie calls her a trolley mog which is hilarious but she's trying to force her to drink the potion while she's on the floating broomstick above the you know graveyard where they're at. I looked up trolley mog and it means dirty slovenly female. I think that's pretty harsh for an (laughs) eight-year-old but Binks jumps into action and pounces on Winnie causing her to drop the potion and Max with his cat-like reflexes, catches it instead of letting it break on the ground. Now, personally, I think this is a little bit of a dumb move, but the movie would have ended in an anticlimactic way. But it would be over. But Max tries to use it as a bargaining chip, but he doesn't have the upper hand in this, so he ends up drinking the potion and sacrificing himself as a life force straw. I don't know. <laughs> he ends up sacrificing his own life force to save his sister Danny. So. Danny is returned to the ground when he calls him a fool and pulls him off the ground by his clothing and lifts him up some feet off the ground, maybe 10 to 20 feet off the ground by his clothing, and she begins sucking his life force. But Max is older, he's not easily entranced, Max is fighting back, and he's really making it hard for her to complete this task. He ends up almost falling from the sky a couple of times. When Winnie asked Mary to come help her, Danny, Max, and Billy pull the vacuum cord of the vacuum that she's riding, and they get caught in this tug of war between like them pulling on the cord and Sarah pulling on Mary, as well so the kids and Billy release the cord launching Mary and Sarah upward and at this point the sun's starting to come up so while Winnie's a little bit distracted Max knocks her off the broom and Winnie or a dummy dressed as Winnie lands face first onto hollow ground and literally nothing happens to her what is all this hullabaloo about this being hollow ground and they can't touch it she touched it and was just fine was it a superstition was it it a lie i'm thinking the way she fell she came across as like the wicked witch of the west whichever witch it was whose little feet curled up under that house but no she was perfectly fine nothing happened to her on hollow ground okay anyways Winnie goes over to Max, lifts him up by his shirt and continues to suck the life force from him until she realizes she's sizzling and slowly turning into stone from basically foot all the way up to the top of her head. She calls for her book right before she fully turns into this stone statue and Max has to rip his shirt from her stony grip. Now, Sarah and Mary end up turning to dust on their brooms, and they kind of have these weird reactions. Sarah leaves with open arms and is just kind of accepting of her fate, and Mary is like, "Uh uh-oh, like, like, "Mm, this sucks. (laughs) But Winnie's stone figure ends up exploding into dust, and a very hurt binks, meows, and dies, which is quite interesting. So everyone basically is relieved right the kids survive the witches are dead the legend is over whoop-de-woo billy goes back into his grave they say thank you and he takes another dirt nap okay part two they find binks and he is dead on top of his sister's gravesite. and danny is trying to wake binks up and she's crying over his dead body now this is the part i understand that you came to love this cat and you have a very open heart and blah blah blah, blah okay he reminded him of his sister, whatever. You attached to him. It's an animal. Children do that. However, if I saw my sister laying on a dead cat, I would get her off of him immediately. <laughs> oh, I don't even know if I explained how he got injured. He climbed up a tree to hop onto Winnie to attack Winnie and that's how the potion came loose and then Winnie grabbed him and threw him down to the ground so he had like a 20 foot fall or whatever and he didn't land on his feet because I guess he's way past his nine lives but y'all her laying on top of that dead cat the only thing I could think in my head was girl girl if you don't get off that (laughs) that dead that cat ain't never had no flea bath. That cat ain't had no type of veterinary care. Get off of that cat, okay? I don't know why it, that was my first thought, but anyways, she hears someone call for her, and it's actually the ghost of the human Thackeray. His soul is free now that the witches are gone, and Binks even thanks Max for lighting the candle with his virgin behind. And so we see the ghost of little Emily calling for her brother Thackeray, and he says he's always going to be with Danny, and he kisses Danny on the cheek, which feels weird to me. It's very strange. I I understand that Thackeray had an attachment to Danny because she probably reminded him a lot of Emily, but something about that interaction came across as weird. I don't know if I would let a ghost kiss my sister, just FYI. But anyways, Thackeray and Emily's little CGI transparent ghost bodies walk off into the sunrise. They have a little cute brother-sister conversation. It's cute. Okay. Come to find out, the person who played Thackeray as a human and the person who voiced Thackeray as a cat are two different people. Very interesting. But as the credits roll, it's the end of the movie. The adults from the party are released from the spell and they end up heading home. Y'all, they literally dance until the sun rose the next day. They were going to keep dancing until they literally died. They're worn out. Okay. Jay and Ice are still locked in the cages in the Sanderson house. And the eye on the book opens to kind of suggest that the story isn't over. And as the credits roll, Winnie sings, I put a spell on you one more time. Well, that's the end of the movie, y'all. At the end of every review, we ask if the movie is worth a rewatch and if it holds up today. The answer for me is yes and yes. Even though this movie didn't perform super well at the box office back in 1993 when it came out, it's developed a cult following and I am on board, okay? We have three silly witches played by amazing actresses. They prey on children. They have interesting personalities and sibling dynamics. They cast interesting spells. They have a wide range of emotions. We see them happy, sad, vengeful, hurt, disappointed. We see their brilliance and we see their (laughs) stupidity. And speaking of stupidity, we have the three children. We have a young man who's struggling to fit in in a new town with a little sister who idolizes and embarrasses him. We see the pretty local girl who's smart and resourceful and warms up to the young man. We have Binks, the cursed cat who did a great job for 300 years and won his own freedom through redeeming himself. We see Billy, a man who died a horrible death for cheating, but ended up redeeming himself too. This story is about redemption. I mean, Max went from being the grumpy big brother, reluctantly taking his eight-year-old sister trick-or-treating to the kid who saved literally every child in the town, even though he's the one who endangered them in the first place. (laughs) But it's a sweet story with a happy ending and what is not to love, okay? I will say there were some elements of the movie that threw me off a little bit. I found that the story was a little edgier and a little more sinister than I remember. They depicted a child dying within like the first few minutes of this movie. They depicted women being hanged within the first few minutes of this movie. There was a little bit of a sexual joke with the bus driver. Sarah's character was depicted as really promiscuous. And I don't think any of these elements as a child, but these elements do come across as like a little inappropriate. And that kind of begs the question for me, if as a child, me watching this, I was not aware of these elements if it didn't register with me doesn't matter and I think maybe not I feel the same way similarly about Jumanji like we're watching it as an adult I was like why was I not more scared of this like a lot of scary things that could be scary to children happen in Jumanji and as a child, I didn't view the movie as scary. It came across more as adventurous to me with like a little bit element with a little bit of a dangerous element to it. So if my mind didn't really go there to a scary place or if my mind is not going there to this kind of inappropriate place of children being eaten, that type of thing, does it even really matter? And the answer is probably not. But um keep ruminating on that but I will say that I enjoyed the movie a lot and I only mildly disliked the CGI cat and the poor movements when the witches were flying some of the effects didn't age really well but it was 1993 and I don't really mind that and I also found it strange that the ghost of Binks kissed Danny before he left but overall it's a classic and it's a must watch every October so Let's talk about what the critics have to say. The critics over at Rotten Tomatoes rated Hocus Pocus a freaking 40 while the audience gave it 71%. 40% is ridiculous, y'all. It's ridiculous and I reject it. Okay, 71% is good, but I would probably give it an 80%. It's iconic. I watch it almost every year and the nostalgia I feel while watching it is worth the extra points. It reminds me a lot of my childhood and that's worth something. And that's what Submedia Reviews is all about. It's not just about what the critics say, the cinematography, the storyline, the plot. It's about how it makes you feel. And so for me, that's why I would give it like an 80% but that's all home slices thanks so much for listening to my review of hocus pocus here at submedia reviews share your thoughts with us on social media youtube instagram and facebook and tell us did you rewatch the movie recently does this still hold up for you we want to hear from you so make sure you respond in those comments join us next week when i review the 1996 slasher scream with a special guest you don't want to miss it peace out Thanks for listening to Submedia Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Submedia Reviews and on submediareviews.com don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and if you have a moment please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners so until next time peace out home slices